Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's show, I'm joined by the Boudis Financial team, John, Kayla, and Kira, for another episode of our Boudis Financial Book Club. This is the ninth episode of the Book Club series, and this time around, John selected the book, The Spank Story, What's Underneath the Incredible Success of Sarah Blakely's Billion Dollar Empire by Charlie and Stephanie Wetzel. John, what drew you to this book? So I honestly had no idea what a Spanx was, (laughs) (laughs) maybe for obvious reasons. And uh, I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. My wife makes fun of me because a lot of times I'll just have it on in the background. I've seen almost every episode, but there's just something about these stories and just I think they do a really good job. And there's um, obviously I'm not the only one who watches it and is a fan of it, but there's just something about that show that I really like. And they have there's like the core group and they have guests in the later the later seasons. So they'll bring on somebody else. There's Charles Barkley. There's a few others. And Sarah Blakely was one of the guests that they bring on to be one of the sharks, a guest shark, if you may. The first time I ever heard Sarah Blakely's name was really from um, this guy, Jesse Itzler, who wrote a book before anyone knew who David Goggins was. He invited this guy who was a SEAL. The book is called Living with a SEAL. And then and I just remember through reading that book, hearing her name. I was like, oh, that's that girl that was in that book. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. She, she's way bigger of a deal than any of this. And started to learn a little bit about her. But with that said, like when she's on the show, there was just something about her. She just has just a really great point of view. And typically when there's guests on there, I'm interested to hear like why they're there, like what the business is that they built their wealth or why they were brought on as a guest. And I learned a little bit about the story. And the story just found compelling, you know, just from the, from the idea of like the American dream, which I have a big interest in. And, you know, I'm going to hand it over here to Kira here now. With that said, to kind of just give us a little bit of a background as to how the Spank story came to be or really the, the origin of the story. Yeah. So the book started with the origin story and I found it to be very interesting. Sarah Blakely was 27 years old at the time. She had been working as a salesperson at a company that sold fax machines sort of door to door and she was performing really well. So Eventually, she was um, promoted into like the training department where she would train people on how to sell. And that required her to move to the regional office, which was located in Georgia. So she was in a new state doing a new job. And she was invited to a corporate event soon after moving and wanted to make a great impression. She talked about how everyone in the area that she was living in, you know, was very stylish people. They took care of their clothing. They took care of their appearance. And I think this is a very relatable experience for everyone um, when they're a young professional um, getting into the workforce or just, you know, moving up in the workforce. She was planning her outfit. She wasn't sure what to wear. And she talked about having this pair of white pants. Um, that had been in her closet for over a year with the new tags on them. She obviously liked them a lot enough to buy them, but they hadn't worked because of the undergarment situation. So she basically just wasn't feeling confident in the way she was looking. And also just like realistically, like there were lines when there weren't supposed to be lines. And she basically decided to take the pants to a department store to find a solution. 
And there she was introduced to shapewear, which as a woman is worn underneath clothing and it can help smooth things out. But she talks about how that was uncomfortable and it was making her feel worse. And so soon she just figured, why does she just wear her control top pantyhose and cut off the legs because the pants were cropped. So she didn't want to have the tights showing through, especially if she was wearing an open toe situation on her shoes. So she she did that. She wore pantyhose. She cut off the legs. She went to the event. And from that, Thanks was born. The authors talk about how it wasn't necessarily an original thought. They were sure people had done it before, but she just basically took this common problem that or annoyance that um, women would go through. And she found a solution. And that is really what created this breakthrough in this product. It was interesting on that thought about how it wasn't necessarily like the first idea. The author of the book even goes into the history of some of the more uncomfortable approaches, whether it be girdles or just some of these products that were out there. They also mentioned that she noticed that Oprah on her show, she actually saw like pantyhose, like hanging out like the bottom of one of her pants. And I believe this is like after she actually had this thought of doing it or actually did it. And it was almost like this verification of her idea that kind of stuck with her. And maybe we can go into like how Oprah plays into this story a little bit later, because it does kind of come full circle. It's just amazing to see how something just so simple, there's like, there's an idea, there's a good person, there's this drive. And it became a billion dollar idea of like uh, somebody basically taking scissors to something in their house. It's pretty amazing. With that said, there's a lot more that went into the product. And I wanted to turn to Kayla now and, and have her tell us a little bit about the more business development that went into the product and share a little bit of uh, not necessarily just, just the ideas, but more like the metrics and the initial investment. So from like a business and financial perspective, Spanx was pretty much self-funded by Sarah Blakely. It started when she invested her own savings, which was $5,000 into the company. In the early days, she also used her credit cards to cover the expenses. Like Kira was saying, she she worked at a, in an office selling fax machines, and she used the funds from that in the early days to fund like the early product development for Spanx. In the beginning, she was like super frugal. She struggled with finding manufacturers because the order sizes were too small. And when it came to like packaging and shipping in the book, it says that she created the boxes herself sometimes in the beginning and like would personally deliver them to the local stores. And then as the business continued to grow, she would continue to invest the profits back into the business. She had a little bit of help from family and friends. But she was still struggling with gaining traction with other investors. But she continued just reinvesting the profits into the business and watching it grow. Um, and then in the early 2000s, she started adding more employees and the product line started to expand. And then by 2008, a private equity firm invested $300 million into the company. And then over the years, they just continued to invest in themselves and expand the, and improve the distribution network. To sum it up, the growth was self-funded. She reinvested the profits back into the business um, rather than taking outside investments or going public. They also outsourced their manufacturing to keep expenses low. So most of the success could be 
attributed straight back to Sarah Blakely. Yeah, there is an incredible amount of discipline involved. I mean, obviously, the hard work is is evident for her to to build this brand. And they talk a lot about how she she reaches out to, I think, I believe it was like Neiman Marcus initially to get the product placed. And but to to be disciplined, and, and even to that point, she was shipping everything out of her her house. You know, she was doing everything on her own. When you're watching Shark Tank, you get to see some of these mistakes and some of these like successful investors talk about some of the mistakes people are making. And a lot of times keeping your costs low as your business grows, put the money back in. But there is obviously the hard work, but there's also this discipline involved with like not spending too much and making sure you do it in the right way. It was interesting to see how long, even after Oprah had her on, on her show, um, or, or had her product on her show and, and things really blow up. She was still shipping stuff out of her house. And I just remember hearing that and thinking like how she really, really just didn't make big moves and, and invested or bogged down her business with some of this unnecessary overhead. It's really the way you should put it until it was absolutely necessary. And I thought that was re- like really important and really interesting to see. So you mentioned even the $300 million that was invested. I mean, the business was already huge by then already. So like to think that she actually did this on the back of $5,000 or, or there was like something. It wasn't, yeah, I thought it was 5000 Yeah, pretty wild. And then you fast forward to, you know, some of the success. I really believe she handled the success really well. You know, I think, you know, all of a sudden you're like this self-made billionaire and you're on the cover of Forbes and, and you see it all the time, like fortune falls into the hands of certain people. And some people just aren't, don't know what to do with it. And I really, really feel like she continued to do some really good. and. I know Kira has some thoughts on um, some of that. Yes. Even early on, she set aside a portion of the company's earnings to give away. But as the company grew and as there was more and more revenue coming in, she was able to have more opportunity to make a difference, to give to charity, to give back. In the book, they talk about how Sarah was a contestant on Sir Richard Branson's reality TV show, which was back in 2004. It was called The Rebel Billionaire. Um, It was a show where people got voted off week by week, and she made it to the finale of the show, but she was the runner-up. The winner received a prize. It was a money prize to be invested into their business, but as the runner-up, Sarah wasn't supposed to win or gain anything other than exposure and some knowledge, but it ended up that uh, her and Richard Branson really created this friendship and this bond, and he ended up handing her a check for $750,000 made out to the Sarah Blakely Foundation. Now, at the time, the foundation did not exist, but Branson and Blakely had these conversations about creating nonprofits. Branson had a lot of experience in it, and Blakely was kind of prodding him and asking him questions and using him as a mentor. So he decided to make that first donation as the initial donation to the foundation And then from there, Sarah was able to establish it. It was launched in 2006, so two years later. And the goal of the foundation is to empower women to make the world a better place. So really, it's a foundation for women. And the Sphinx brand um, does have a men's line, but it was originally created for women. So it has expanded over the time, but really her charitable efforts are surrounded around empowering women. So there was an event when they launched the foundation. So here's just an example of, you know, one of the things that they've done. Um, at that first launch event, they raised $600,000. And that money was then donated to, donated to a college program in South Africa, which helped provide scholarships to 
278 women who otherwise would not have been able to go to college. And then also circling it back to Oprah, Sarah Blakely, after she established her foundation, went on the Oprah Winfrey show and decided to make, I believe it was a million dollar donation to Oprah's foundation. So just, you know, taking the money that she raised and giving it back to Oprah and then Oprah obviously using the money in her foundation for her own mission. Another thing that Sarah Blakely has done is she signed the Giving Pledge, which Richard Branson is also a member of, as well as Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett. And it's basically a commitment to dedicate half of their wealth, or specifically Sarah Blakely in this case, to philanthropy. So with a net worth that's established at above a million dollars, she has been able to herself and through her foundation poured hundreds of millions of dollars into the lives of women. Um, and that's at this point, millions of women. A quote on this that I really enjoyed was Sarah said about money, quote, I think it's fun to make, fun to spend, and fun to give away. I think that's literally like the last line in the entire in the yeah. entire book. <laughs> that's also a very good point. In the middle of the book, they talk a lot about culture. And obviously, like this giving back is a big part of that culture. And the authors talk a lot about how her view of a failure has kind of molded that culture and also talk about the contrast between her and former CEO, um, Larianne Goldman, is it? Um, and like the differences there they, they have in their view of the pursuit of success, I guess. And it was interesting to see that contrast, obviously not taking anything away from Larianne Goldman. She was integral for 12 years. Also very interesting how... Um, Sarah wasn't really the CEO ever, hardly through a lot of the success. I mean, she was an integral part of the growth and a, a big part of it, but she always had somebody to run the X's and O's of the business and later on does come back to kind of try to bring this culture back together. But I, I thought I'd hand it over to Mark and just have him give his thoughts on um, her view of failure and success and, and how that kind of like was part of the whole culture of the business and really just uh, how it lent to her success overall. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at someone as successful as Sarah, youngest self-made woman billionaire, and you want to kind of deconstruct, all right, how did she get there? It obviously wasn't a overnight success. And one of the things in the book that really stood out was how she embraced failure from an early age. And I think it wasn't necessarily the embracing, she was kind of forced to embrace it. So her her dad was a trial attorney and he would celebrate failure. He would, at the dinner table, he would ask him, what, would you, what did you fail at this week? You know, it, maybe it was a sports tryout where they didn't make the team or a, a unit in math that they were struggling with. And the way he framed it, the way he, he reacted to it, he never expressed disappointment in it. He, he actually is the opposite. He was pleased with failure. He would give him a high five. And, um, you know, the more things that they tried and didn't succeed at, he would, the prouder he was of them. Um, so what the kids did is they learned to seek out these challenges. They constantly, you know, sought out challenges, which they could fail at over time. It was reframed to failure, not be an outcome, but you only failed if you didn't try. And really he, he framed it as you should be attempt to be more today than you were the, the day before. And if you have that outlook or that approach, you will obviously eventually be successful. And what he taught them was, you know, after a failure, learn something from that failure. And what they did is they, they would call it a gift or, you know, when they, they, uh, maybe like they failed or they didn't, they didn't make the, the sports team, but she found her best friend or she made a best for our friend from, from that, from that tryout. And you take the positive in the negative. 
obviously there was a lot of setbacks when she was forming the company, but there was a lot more even before she got to that. When she was young, she wanted to be a, an attorney like her, her father. And she took the LSATs and failed. So, you know, embracing failure, she did what you would think. She signed up for an LSAT class. She studied hard and you would think, okay, the story is she passed, but no, she failed again. And it's really your, your reaction or your approach after that is what kind of leads you, lead you forward. So she, she went down to Disney because she wanted to be, she thought she wanted to be goofy in the, the actual costume. And she got there and soon realized that she had to have three months working in the park. She had to be a certain height and she eventually wasn't able to be goofy. So she had to move on eventually started working for a copier company. And then that's what led to the the party that Kira was talking about and, and the, the idea for Spanx. But I think what happens is so many people don't take risks. They don't seek out challenges because they're afraid of a failure. And that's where she's different. When you kind of think about it, she's not unique, right? There's a lot of famous stories about failure, like one Thomas Edison. The story is that he failed 10,000 times before he was able to perfect the electric light bulb. And the way he framed it was, no, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I found 10,000 times that didn't work. And if I didn't find those 10,000 times out, I would have never gotten the success that I got. Another famous one is, is Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player ever. He didn't make his varsity basketball team as a sophomore in high school. Now, to, you can go two ways from that. You can feel sorry for yourself and move on and do something else. But no, he took it, uh, you know, his practices, training to the next level. And what he said is, Every time he was out there training, practicing, and didn't want to, he would visualize looking in, in the locker room, looking at the list of players that made varsity and his name not being on the list. And that served as his motivation to carry on with the practice and training that he, that he needed to. It's something that she embraced. Now it's something that she's doing with her own kids is that same exercise that her father did of, you know, making it part of the, the family culture and having them seek out challenges. So you kind of want to take one thing from, you know, every book or webinar or podcast. And that was, you know, the, how she embraced failure and how that helped her, you know, to build a successful company. It really stood out to me. 100% agree. I think that you always, as a parent, want to, you want your kids to experience certain things and try different things and, you know, and they don't always work out. And, and even just thinking back to my childhood, like having that frame of mind would have, would have really, really helped. And I think that's one thing that I really, really enjoyed. And, and just to see how Sarah took those things, just something as simple as, her calling Neiman Marcus, like some people are like, that's crazy. You know, that's not the way these things work, but she called and called and called, you know, and, and her selling copiers and being successful at that job. And I don't know if you, if you've ever known anybody who's tried to do that, um, had a really, one of my best friends work for Rico, like knocking on doors and it's just brutal just to be able to take no. And it's, uh, it was pretty cool to see how that kind of like played into the success for sure. So, so I think that kind of brings us to the end here. I'll uh, hand it over to Mark to, to close this out. All right. Thanks, John. That's all we have for today's episode. Uh, if you're interested in reading the Spank story, the book's available on Amazon. And if you like this episode, would like to listen to any of our past book club episodes, we'll link to all of them in the resources section of the show notes. Thank you, everyone who tuned in to today's episode. Don't forget to follow the Agent of Wealth on the platform you listen to and leave us a review on the show. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.